I'm Megan Hale, and you're listening to The Enoughness Revolution, a feel-good podcast on creating joy in life, work, and love. Join me every Monday and Thursday for practical tools that speak to the soul to create a life you love. It's Transformational Thursday, sisters, and I wanted to follow up my kind of personal church journey (laughs) that I shared on Monday with rereading um, a book that I have read probably last year, but I'm revisiting um, because I think that it's it's very poignant for me to revisit it now. The book is called Captivating, Unveiling the Mystery of a Woman's Soul by John and Stacy Eldridge. And it was recommended to me when I was in the middle of my enoughness work of really trying to understand, you know, what was this part of me, this little girl in me, what was she wanting and why did she feel the way that she felt? So it's kind of interesting to me that as I'm exploring this, this church process again and kind of opening up to other layers of stories that I've been carrying um, that really, you know, dictate the kind of woman that I think that I'm supposed to be or the kind of woman I think I'm not supposed to be (laughs) that this book has kind of found me again. So I wanted to read just a brief excerpt from this and then we'll kind of get into today's episode. So, um, she starts with saying my story is like most women's stories. We've received all sorts of messages, but very little help in what it means to become a woman and very little guidance as to what a real woman even is. As one young woman recently wrote us, I remember when I was 10 asking myself as well as older females in my life, how a woman of God could actually be confident, scandalous, and beautiful, yet not portray herself as a feminist Nazi or an insecure, I need attention, emotional whore. How can I become a strong woman without becoming harsh? How can I be vulnerable without drowning myself in my sorrow? There seems to be a growing number of books on the masculine journey, rites of passage, initiations, and the like, many of them helpful. But there has been precious little wisdom offered on the path to becoming a woman. Oh, we know the expectations that have been laid upon us by our families, our churches, and our cultures. There are reams of material on what you ought to do to be a good woman, but that is not the same thing as knowing what the journey toward becoming a woman involves or even what the goal really should be. The church has not been a big help here. No, that's not quite honest enough. The church has been part of the problem. Its message to women has been primarily you are here to serve. That's why God created you to serve in the nursery, in the kitchen, on the various committees, in your home, in your community. Seriously now, picture the woman we hold up as models of femininity in the church. They are sweet, they are helpful, their hair is coiffed, they are busy, they are disciplined, they are composed, and they are tired. Think about the women you meet. They're trying to live up to some model of femininity. What do they teach you about being a woman? What are they saying to us through their lives? Like we said, you'd have to conclude that a godly woman is tired and guilty. We're all living in the shadow of that infamous icon, the Proverbs Proverbs 31 woman, whose life is so busy, I wonder, when does she have time for friendships, for taking walks or reading good books? Her light never goes out at night. When does she have sex? Somehow she has sanctified the shame most women live under, biblical proof that yet again we don't measure up. 
Is that supposed to be godly? That sense that you are a failure as a woman? First time I read this passage in particular, you know, (laughs) it started to shine some light on me or light on why I never really felt okay in church. Um, because there was always this message to serve. And I think that's why Love Warrior spoke so much to me because, you know, Glennon really dove into what it means to be a woman. And her answer, of course, was that we were not meant to be helpers. We were meant to be warriors, which this book actually comes to the same realization too, now that I'm thinking about it. So maybe these seeds were planted a little bit further along than I am aware. But I wanted to read this next passage and then we'll get into today's episode. I know I'm not alone in this nagging sense of failing to measure up, a feeling of not being good enough as a woman. Every woman I've ever met feels it, something deeper than just the sense of failing at what she does, an underlying gut feeling of failing at who she is. I am not enough and I am too much at the same time. Not pretty enough, thin enough, kind enough, gracious enough, disciplined enough but too emotional, needy, sensitive, strong, opinionated, messy. The result is shame. The universal companion of women, how lucky we are, right? It haunts us, nipping at our heels, feeding on our deepest fear that we will end up abandoned and alone. After all, if we were better women, whatever that means, life wouldn't be so hard, right? We wouldn't have so many struggles. There would be less sorrow in our hearts. Why is it so hard to create meaningful friendships and sustain them? Why do our days seem so unimportant, filled not with romance and adventure, but with duties and demands? We feel unseen, even by those who are closest to us. We feel unsought, that no one has the passion or the courage to pursue us, to get past our messiness to find the woman deep inside. And we feel uncertain. Uncertain that it even what it even means to be a woman. Uncertain what it truly means to be feminine. Uncertain if we are or ever will be. Aware of our deep failings, we pour contempt on our own hearts for wanting more. Oh, we long for intimacy and for adventure. We long to be the beauty of some great story of some great story. But the desires set deep in our hearts seem like a luxury, granted only to those women who get their acts together. The message to the rest of us, whether from a driven culture or a driven church, is try harder. Oh, you guys. (laughs) So a couple of things. One, there's this part of this book that it talks about how women long to be the beauty of a story and we long to be captivating. That's the title of the book. We, We long to, you know, twirl around in dresses as little girls and be so beautiful that we can capture the attention of those around us. And somewhere along the road, you know, that light in us, um, I think it only burns brighter to want to be more captivating because we realize that maybe we aren't enough to capture the attention or hold the attention of others. And we doubt, we doubt our beauty. And so a lot of what this book talks about is reclaiming that beauty and knowing that you are captivating. And that is all around realizing that we are enough and never too much. But the only way we get there is really by embracing who we are, right? You know, I've been writing for a while and holy and 
one of the things that came up, which I don't know if it'll make it in the book, but it's going to make it on the podcast, (laughs) is that it's really easy to say embrace who you are if you like who you are. But for most of us, when we're on this journey of self-exploration, there's parts of us ourselves that we really don't like. So the whole concept of embracing who you are, it kind of leaves a lot to be desired and a very big gap. How are we supposed to embrace all of who we are when we don't like all of who we are? So for me, you know, my journey has really been looking at those parts of myself that I don't like, that I judge, that I'm super critical of. Um, where I really compare myself to other people and really learning what this part of me has to teach me and also what it gifts me. Because the parts of ourselves that we don't really like, they're here to teach us a lesson, I think. Um, Sometimes it's a lesson of self-forgiveness. Sometimes it's a lesson of self-compassion. Sometimes it's a lesson of change. Um, Sometimes these things that we don't like about ourselves are there for us to actually shift out of. Um, (laughs) And that's part of our personal development work, right? Of realizing when we are in toxic patterns or negative patterns that are really taking us further away from ourselves, how do we shift those? And so if we are living with insecurities that really make us stay in these patterns that just keep on you know, insulting our heart. What needs to happen there for you to stop doing those things? And for me, those have been some of the biggest lessons of my life and also the hardest to face because it's me coming like face to face with my own shit. And oh my gosh, I don't really want to touch this or feel this because it hurts and I don't like it. So for me, (laughs) learning how to be captivating or learning that I am captivating has been looking at these parts of myself that prevent me from embracing who I am. Those parts of me that I think are not enough or even more so the parts of me that I think are too much. And you know, I really can't say if, if one is more damaging than the other. Um, is it more damaging for us to dim our light when we think we're, we're too much? Or is it worse for us to think that we're not enough? And honestly, I think they both end up, they both take us to the same place of us not being confident, of us not being bold, of us not taking ownership of our gifts and our talents. And when we, when we do these things, when we live in this place that's just always questioning, questioning ourselves, for me, it's created immense anxiety I think it was at the root of my depression when I was in adolescence. I definitely know, (laughs) definitely know that it was at the bottom of staying in toxic relationship patterns, of being in codependency, of just being in flat out unhealthy relationships, of settling for far less than what I deserved. So, you know, I like this book and I'm actually really interested to reread it now that I'm kind of opening back up to Christianity again, kind of, I think it'll give me a different lens to, to read this through, but you know, the, the whole concept of feeling unseen, unsought and uncertain, you know, the whole piece of being unseen really relates to, I think what Glennon was talking about in Love Warrior, that in order to be loved, we have to be seen. So how do we feel unseen in our lives right now? Where, do, where am I hiding? Where am I not showing my whole self? Where am I holding back? And that doesn't always mean for us to 
like be completely transparent um, with everybody in the whole wide world. You know, like Brene says, Brene Brown, she talks about like not everybody has earned the right to hear your story. And so vulnerability or being seen does not mean showing all your stuff to just anybody. Like people really have to earn the right. They have to earn your respect and earn your trust for, for you to share that with, right? It's not very safe for us to just go walking around the world um, with our vulnerable stuff hanging out because some people don't know how to hold space for that and some people can trample on that. And so in a sense, um, we have to be our own advocates and our own protectors, right? And, you know, how Brene, I love how she talks about um, sharing a wound, or I me, mean, I'm sorry, sharing a scar instead of sharing a wound. And I think that that is really relevant here. But this whole concept of being unsought, you know, this is... Um, I'll just read this part again, that no one has the passion or the courage to pursue us, to get past our messiness, to find the woman deep inside. You know, to be honest, I really felt this way about God for a long time, that I was too messy to be found. And I see how that really reflected in all my relationships. And it really allowed me to kind of keep people at a distance because, oh, you won't really like what you see in here if I let you see it all. And being in the relationship I am now, I can see how totally untrue that is. <laughs> um, you know, Breck sees so much of my silliness that I don't show anybody else. And just, I, there's just no holds par. But he can handle it. But I think a lot of that is learning to give somebody the opportunity to handle it. And so there's that vulnerability piece coming up again. Like, you know, can you see me at my best? Can you see me at my silliest? Can you see me at my most embarrassing moments? And we're never going to know the answer to that unless we give somebody the chance. And this whole piece about being uncertain. Uncertain what it even means to be a woman. Uncertain what it truly means to be feminine. Uncertain if we are or ever will be. You know, I think that uncertainty comes up in all kinds of ways in our life. Um, for me, there's always the uncertainty of the future. And that's always created anxiety for me. I think that's what uncertainty does. It's the unknown. And the brain does not like the unknown. It likes prediction. It likes to know what's going to happen because then we can better prepare. How, how do we prepare for the unknown, right? And, you know, I know when I'm working with clients who are living with anxiety or they're just anxiety wired. The uncertainty of things just, it creates a, such a smaller world um, where we're afraid of trying new things. We're, we're afraid of putting ourselves out there. We're afraid of going and doing something that we've never done before because what if we really suck at it and what if we fail miserably and what if we embarrass ourselves and what if we can what if ourselves to death, right? That's what uncertainty does. So when we um, are starting to lean into our power and starting to be more confident, what that really looks like, guys, is being afraid and doing it anyway. One of the biggest things that I have had to teach myself is how to have difficult conversations, how to own my feelings and talk about them instead of letting them build up and they become so, so big that I don't know how to handle them anymore. And then I just either explode out of anger or I just come off as this huge, big babbling mess where I'm blaming somebody else for the way that I feel. 
instead of simply clearing the air <laughs> and saying, hey, look, this bothers me or this hurt my feelings or whatever it is. And the first time I started doing this, oh my God, the anxiety that crept up. Like it would sit in the center of my chest. My whole body would flush red. I would be just a nervous wreck of like, oh, I really don't want to say this. I don't want to say how I feel. And what if this hurts somebody else's feelings? And what if they get mad at me? And what if this ends a relationship? And you see the what ifs. <laughs> but the more I pushed through those feelings, the more I realized that all of those what ifs in my head, they really didn't come true. And on the off chance that they did, that I did upset somebody, I always can redo something. I can always say, oh, that's not what I meant, or that's not how I, me I meant it to come across, and reframe it and try again. Um, we always have the opportunity to try again, and that goes for anything in life. Um, whether that's learning how to express your emotions or express your heartache to somebody or learning to do something new that you've never done or learning to do something different in your business, you know, whatever it is, we always have the opportunity to do it over if it sucks the first time. And it doesn't mean any less of you if you have to have a redo. Like I have had so many redos in my life. Oh my God. Um, even like within the same relationship of having to, you know, really work on like healthy communication patterns in my marriage, for instance, and totally screwing it up a lot of times before feeling like I could get it right. And if we don't ever give ourselves the opportunity for a redo, man, we're really, we're really cutting ourselves short. And the other interesting thing is that I realized that the more times I did something, the less that big anxious feeling started to creep up in my chest, the less my whole body would flush, the less my voice would shake. And so by doing these things that felt really uncomfortable over and over again, they started to get more comfortable and I started to get more confident in doing them. So when we're really looking at owning who we are, it's not going to feel comfortable in the beginning. It's probably going to feel like scary as hell. <laughs> But how do we lean into that and, and do it anyway? And I think one of the best things that I've ever done is to know that the goal is not for it to feel like, well, I guess the goal is kind of for it to feel easy <laughs> in the end, right? But that's not how it's going to start off. And it's totally normal for it to feel hard and for it to feel scary. That's what being a human being is. So when we're dealing with the uncertainty of life, the uncertainty of being a woman, especially being a strong woman, um, it's really about leaning into that uncertainty and not letting the what ifs choose your actions, but letting courage choose your actions instead. So I'm going to dive into this book because I think there's going to be some really powerful nuggets for me to reflect on since it's been about a year since I've read this and I'm in a totally different place than I was before. Um, there was something about this book really that led me to reflect on my relationship with my dad. You know, healing the relationship with my dad has been one of the uh, proudest things I've ever done for myself, which I'm going to be talking about in the book. But I remember like I wanted to feel captivated or captivating in his eyes. Like I wanted to be able to hold his attention and always feeling like I was twirling and twirling and twirling and it was just never enough. And you know, I've, I've healed a lot of that since then, but even just like 
reading that or even like reflecting on that emotion. Um, you know, wow. Wow. Like how powerful it is for us to be captivating, to know that we're captivating. And how do we hold on to that? How do we hold on to that as women, as adult women? Because I think, you know, as young girls, um, you know, I think that there's so much that hasn't gotten in yet. <laughs> um, we're still so pure and like connected to who, who we authentically are that we don't doubt so much. But even like reflecting on those earlier memories, like it starts pretty early. Like I can remember from the times of five of doubting, I guess, doubting my beauty, doubting my ability to captivate um, other people's attention. So I will definitely check back with you guys as I reread this book and dive in because I think that there's going to be some really beautiful points of reflection, um, especially since I'm kind of more open to the use of God, um, which I was really adverse to for a while. <laughs> and I still sort of am, but, you know, I'm kind of approaching it and just seeing what's there. So anyway, um, let's wrap this up by really thinking about how we are unseen. How are we hiding? How can we be more open and let ourselves be seen by people that we love and trust? How can we reach out for more intimate conversations to let somebody in, to share our pain with them, um, to really allow the people that love us to support us and receive that support? Um, when we're feeling unsought, that you know we're too messy for people to pursue, how can we embrace that messiness and, and know that that's what makes us unique and actually what makes people fall in love with us even more. I was talking to my husband last night um, because it was Valentine's Day and I was like, if I were to die tomorrow, what would you miss the most about me? <laughs> and at first he was like, uh, why do you have to ask me these questions without any like heads up? I don't have you know, any time to think about the answer. And he was silent for a second and he was like, you're dancing and I like burst out laughing because it's like my most insecure thing. Like I am a horrible dancer. And the fact that that's one of the things that would, you would miss the most, like that's what I'm talking about. It's like the, the stuff that we think that is totally messy and so undesirable. Those can be our most endearing qualities to the people that we love and the people that love us, because those are the moments of like, intense vulnerability you know like I don't go around the world dancing in front of anybody like that's something I feel really comfortable doing in front of him because I know that he loves me but in turn that's something that he really loves about me because he knows that, that I trust him with that so not being afraid of our messiness and allowing ourselves to be imperfect and silly and suck at stuff and, and still know that we're worthy of love and belonging um, that's pretty huge. And I think for me, that's challenging myself to practice that with more than just my husband of doing that, you know, even more so with my girlfriends and even more so, you know, I think eventually with strangers, uh, that's the ultimate goal of just being so wild and uninhibited and just owning that messy part. That's like, who cares? <laughs> and just be wildly yourself in the world. Right. And then, of course, how do we deal with that uncertainty and realizing, are we letting the what-ifs rule our life or can we choose courage instead? So I will see you guys on Monday for Motivational Monday with our first meditation. 
and oh the imperfect boss campaign is starting next week i'll put a link to that in the show notes which is a really beautiful event that one of my friends puts on ashley bowden about how we share the behind the scenes of what it's really like to own your business and all the real deal stuff <laughs> that we experience the fear and the doubt and the messiness and all that good stuff i'll be participating so come and check that out check it out in the show notes and i will see you in a few days have a great weekend bye